0: This is Robert Rogers. You are here at the right time to hear my interview with John Ball, author of Living Well, Running Hard, Lessons Learned from Living with Parkinson's Disease. You might wonder, well, why should I hang around and listen to what John Ball has to say? First, he's the winner of the 2009 Alan Bonander Humanitarian Award. John Ball has dedicated his life to raising money for Parkinson's research. Why else should you listen to John Ball? John was diagnosed with Parkinson's in June of 1983. Uh, That was actually about 10 years after his symptoms emerged, and This coming Tuesday, John will be running in the San Francisco Marathon. So need I say more? John has a lot to say about the kinds of things that individuals can do to get incredible sustained relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's and to lead vibrant, healthy lives. This is a pre-recorded interview, and I want to say, since I already know the answers to the questions that I asked, it is remarkable. So stay tuned for the entire hour. I also have another teaser for you. Uh, We'll break at the first segment, and um, I'm going to tell you uh, how uh, we have figured out you can make dopamine naturally and free. So be sure to stay tuned. I'll be back live to be able to explain to you a project that I'm actually launching tomorrow. It's a pleasure for me today to be interviewing John Ball, who is author of Living Well, Running Hard, Lessons Learned from Living with Parkinson's Disease. John is the winner of the 2009 Alan Bonander Humanitarian Award. John uh, actually got uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's um, when he was uh, at a young age, as I understand it, in his mid twenties, when the words young onset hadn't even been coined yet. Uh, That was in June of 1983, and he has run in uh, over 20 marathons. John, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being with us today.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So tell us about your experience with Parkinson's.
1: Well, actually, I started having symptoms in my 20s, late uh, 20s. I had been a a Navy pilot over in Vietnam, and that era, and, uh, when I was, uh, out of the service and just, oh, I guess it was in grad school, actually, I was walking to the store one day and, uh, came home with a couple of bags of groceries under my arms, I had this kind of crazy cramp in my foot, and, um, couldn't quite figure it out, because I was, you know, I was pretty healthy and all that, but this cramp just kept reappearing time and time again, and finally, I, you know, I, I just, uh, well, actually, what happened was I, uh, I dropped a bottle of water, you know, a big 50, uh, five-gallon glass water bottle.
2: Yeah.
1: I dropped it on my big toe on my left foot. Oh. And Then uh, I got one of those cramps <laughs> in my foot. And the combination of the cramp and the broken toe were so painful that I, that in 1974, I went to see my first doctor about the problem. And he, he misdiagnosed it. He, he thought it was something called He Said it was kind of a localized epilepsy on the brain. It just didn't, you know, set with me. But I, I took that uh, diagnosis for a while and tried to use the prescription for Valium which he gave me uh, to to reduce the uh, epilepsy. He said, and you know, it just didn't do me any good at all. So I. Uh, <laughs> i I sort of gave up on that treatment, and a couple of years later went back to a different doctor then a different one and a different one and finally you know, after about ten or twelve years of shopping around trying to find the right diagnosis i i finally I was diagnosed with parkinson's disease, and uh I knew from the moment that I took my first Cinemat tablet that's the levodopa carbidopa that was prescribed. I knew it found the uh, the key to my problem, because uh, that, that first tablet really worked well, and I could, I could tell that there was an immediate difference in the way my body performed. I had such a uh, positive reaction to it that, that finding out I had Parkinson's disease was really kind of a, um, a relief, you know, rather than, uh, some people would be nervous about being diagnosed, but uh, for me it was a relief. Oh because I finally had a name for something that I could actually understand, you know. Right. So because it made me feel so much better, I started working out almost immediately. started running again and doing all the kinds of things I like to do. And I think that the fact that I've been such an uh, inveterate runner all my life has been uh, very, very helpful for me. Do you run every day? Not every day now. Uh, I started noticing once I turned 60 or so that, Running every day is kind of hard on your body, so it's uh, uh, it's easier for me now to run two or three times during the week and then one, say, long run on the weekends. Oh.
0: Are you still running marathons?
1: Uh, actually, I'm, I'm uh, two weeks away from my 22nd marathon coming up in San Francisco on July 26th. Oh, my goodness. Now, is this uh, raising money for Parkinson's? Absolutely. Uh, my wife and I run an organization called Team Parkinson. It's um, a 501c3. Uh, we've been doing it now for almost 10 years, and in the two, in the 10 years that I've been running marathons or 15, 14 Parkinson, at least, um, we've raised close to two million dollars for Parkinson's disease research.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Well, my wife's mother also had Parkinson's, and that's um, part of the reason why we're both so dedicated to this uh, effort. And we, we've put together a, a program that's not unlike some of the other charities that are built around athletic endeavors. But uh, ours, we try to minimize the, uh, the amount of administrative routine so that we can maximize the amount of money that we raise that goes directly into the research efforts. We've been able to uh, to get over 90 percent of the money we raise actually into research. Oh, that's amazing. We, have, uh, we, we sponsor two grants currently, one at UCLA in their Department of Neurology and the other at USC in their Department of Neurology, both in their medical schools.
0: And if people uh, want to be able to contribute uh, to Team Parkinson's,
1: is there a website they can go to? Well, actually, Team Parkinson, uh, without the apostrophe S, there are two organizations, one f- run by a friend of mine, <laughs> Bill Bell, up in Seattle, uh, but for the Northwest Parkinson's Association and that uh, foundation, and, and they are called Team Parkinson's with the apostrophe S, but we're, we're Team Parkinson, no S, and we can be found on the web at uh, www.team-parkinson.org. Awesome. And yes, there's a. a we have a, a blog there. We have. Uh, articles about all the other events that are going on in, in our calendar, and lots of historical information about uh, what we've been doing. So the latest race I ran, actually, was uh, to help a friend of mine who's been running for Team Parkinson in Norway. And uh, I went to, uh, he invited me to go over to Norway, and we ran a half marathon at the Norwegian Mountain Marathon. Had a blast doing it and learned quite a bit about the uh, the differences in the way Parkinson's and and uh, chronic illness is managed in in this country of Norway.
0: Oh, what were the differences that you discovered?
1: Well, actually, they they have something called the rehabilitation centers around the country that actually have people come in for three weeks of intensive training to learn how to manage the consequences of the disease at home. So they'll they actually teach them uh, how to cook, how to how to, how to you know to, Proper diets for Parkinson's, the uh, how to manage your uh, fitness level. You know, I mean, it's, it's a comprehensive approach to teaching people how to manage the, the disease at home, which we we really don't do that here in the states. I mean, you can get that information, but you have to go to several different sources to find it. Right. So it was really a fabulous uh, opportunity for me to meet with the, the uh, doctors and the Parkinson's Association in, in Norway and. Uh, Learn the, some of the things they're doing over there that are quite different. Norway right now is a uh, very stable, very wealthy country because they have access to uh, North, North Sea oil supplies, so their finances are not necessarily affected negatively by the current economic climate. Oh, as a country, it's 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 really quite nice to see that somebody is doing well.
0: Yes is it, uh, though? Really? Well, was running the marathon uh, significantly different than others that you've run in?
1: Well, actually it was, because uh, apparently the the uh, event that we signed up for is not something for the faint of heart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it started in about uh, 10 feet of snow on both sides of the road. The, the road itself was dry, thank goodness. But it started in the mountains in Norway, and it was actually... Uh, even though it was June, <laughs> it, was, oh. it was quite uh, brisk in the morning. It was just barely above freezing when we started the race, and it was uh, it was quite extraordinary. The, the, uh, apparently, only the really fit members of the society there actually participate in the event. Because I, I ran a, uh, I was 17th in my age group out of 20. That's the 65 to 70 group, and. Uh, I ran a half marathon in two two hours and one minute, or two hours, yeah, two hours and one minute. Whoa! And that's a pretty good time for most.
0: Oh, that's that's amazing! It really is. And yet,
1: and yet, it was 17th out of 20 in my group. Uh,
0: You were talking (laughs) about a lot of fit people.
1: Yeah, I've never worked so hard to go to get beat so bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny.
0: Well, when you're talking about starting at the top of the mountain, you were both uh, running down as well as up mountains. Is that right?
1: Yes, actually, that was a. Uh, I think we had about uh, close to a thousand feet of up and down on that on that half marathon. Uh,
0: what a challenge! What a physical challenge! Obviously, running and exercise is a big part of how you're able to uh, get relief from uh, symptoms. What other things do you do uh, besides the running uh, that gives you relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's?
1: Well, I say I have what I call my toolkit, and in, in my toolkit are all the things I know about the disease, uh, all the things I know about my medications, all the things I, I get, you know, the support I get from my family, my doctor, my physiotherapist, my massage therapist, um, all of those things working together. Really, uh, it's not just one thing. The, the drugs that we take, you know, for the relief of the symptoms are important, and you've got to know when to use them, how to use them properly. But they're not just the only thing in your in your bag. I mean, you've got other other things in your kit. You've got, uh, you know, your fitness level, your diet, your lifestyle. So many different decisions that we make about how we're going to spend our time, how we're going to spend our day. Um, Affect the Parkinson's symptoms. I know that if I have a stressful day, something emotionally stressful would would uh, tend to exacerbate my symptoms significantly. So, keeping and you know, uh, keeping your life in order, trying to keep it on a on a steady plan, reducing the stress whenever possible, um, eating properly, getting enough sleep if you can, all of these things work together to help provide the stability in your life and the, and the ability to manage the symptoms, really.
0: Mm. When you are under significant stress, do you see an immediate
1: relationship with the symptoms? Absolutely. Um, any kind of stress, actually. It can be uh, the stress of having an additional condition. Actually, it can be the, the stress of having, um, say, a, a cold, uh, the flu, or some other uh, that, you know, like an injury, all of those things can exacerbate the the Parkinson's symptoms. So what what you have to do, of course, is realize that any kind of stress, whether it's emotional or physical or psychological stress, can certainly affect the, uh, the extent of the symptoms that you're facing.
0: This is Robert Rogers. You are listening to my pre-recorded interview with John Ball, author of Living Well, Running Hard, Lessons Learned from Living with Parkinson's Disease. I gave you a teaser at the very beginning, and I said that I'd be telling you the discovery about what anyone can do for free to be able to actually uh, make dopamine in their bodies naturally. No side effects, no medications. And The announcement that I have for you is that I am launching tomorrow the uh, seminal, the the first ever memory training study for individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's. Why am I doing this? About three weeks ago, I was working on writing my forthcoming book uh, that I've been promising is coming out uh, soon, soon, soon called Road to Recovery, and across my desk came an announcement of an astounding piece of research. This research indicated that through memory training, subjects were able to actually produce massive amounts of dopamine in their brains. They actually were able to physiologically determine that that was what happened. Now I've known for years about the powers of recall and memory, uh, but, but being able to see the actual physical evidence that in fact that's what happens was a true inspiration. So. What I've been doing with my life for the last three weeks is actually designing a whole intervention that I want to invite everyone to participate in. Essentially, I've invented two, two approaches, and the first will be a weekly introduction of a memory recall session. In other words, I'll be giving you things to remember, a few little diversions, and then ask you to remember them. And you'll be able to listen to that all week long. And the second intervention that I've created, and I actually uh, took off three days just this week. I isolated myself from work and family to be able to actually create uh, these recordings. I've created uh, daily recordings that I call Mind Work. And you might wonder, what in the world is Mind Work? Well, you'll have to check in to find out more. I want you to know that I am totally and thoroughly excited about what's emerging. I think it's, uh, it's going uh, to make a huge impact. Now, what do you do to participate? And the answer is, again, it's, it's free. Uh, you sign up for a Parkinson's Recovery membership. First 30 days are free, and that means you can participate in the study. If you don't want to hang around as a member, you just cancel out, and you're not going to pay anything. So we're not talking about trying to convince anyone uh, to spend any money for anything. What I'm trying to convince you uh, of is participate in the study. And so why am I offering this for free? Well, the reason is I would like for everyone to be able to get an assessment using my symptom tracker of the current state of their symptoms and then participate in the memory study and then do a follow-up, do the symptom tracker again, and see what's happened. In other words, we want to actually document what's happened uh, with individuals who are actually doing the uh, memory training. Uh this is not a formal study, it's obviously not going to be researched, you're simply reporting back uh to the rest of us uh how this has worked out for you, whether or not you've seen uh significant improvements or any improvements whatsoever. So it's an ad hoc, it's an informal intervention. Uh but I'm excited about it because I think we'll be able to see uh, the more people that participate uh what really happens when you begin to practice on recall and memory. So I'm excited about it and want to encourage everyone Everyone who's listening to begin participating. First day is actually tomorrow, Friday, and uh, you'll be able to uh, connect in to the member website by just signing up. And you do that by going to the following website. It's uh, www. word.org. Org. Now the difference is the main website is .com. This one is .org. So. Join together with me beginning tomorrow. It's going to be basically a a month uh, intervention for everyone where I'm uh, creating uh, memory recall exercises, and you'll also be listening to uh, daily mind work uh, exercises that uh, use our minds to be able to rewire all of the neural networks in our physical body. Back to John Ball. You uh, received your diagnosis very early in your life, but I do have a question, and the question is what has changed in your life for the better after receiving your diagnosis?
1: Well, you know, there's, that's a very good question because it's. I think the uncertainty of not knowing what's wrong is a lot more difficult to deal with than having a diagnosis. I mean, when you know what you're dealing with obviously you can plan to you have some idea what the consequences are but when you don't know what you're facing the consequences can be anything so knowing that I had Parkinson's actually was a relief Uh, it it allowed me to concentrate on dealing with the symptoms rather than and also it helps me understand why so many um, seemingly unrelated things were happening As it turns out now, of course, 26 years after my diagnosis, we know so much more about the the non-motor parts of the disease. At the time I was being diagnosed or trying to get diagnosed, uh, there was very little known about the fact that your sense of smell, your uh, autonomic nervous system functions, the sleep disturbances, uh, disturbed REM sleep, all uh, all of those things were happening but, of course, nobody knew that they were related to Parkinson's at the time. So having that diagnosis actually allowed me to, to connect the dots.
2: Oh, right.
1: And so it, it, instead of looking at it as a bunch of separate problems, you realize that there's a, a sort of a comprehensive pattern to this problem that has to do with the communication between the brain and the body. And you, and you knowing that, you can begin to deal with it much more successfully. So I look at it as kind of a signal-to-noise ratio problem. If if my you know dopamine level in the brain is low because of the death of those neurons that are producing dopamine, then we have two or three different strategies for either maximizing the usefulness of the dopamine that's still being produced, or or increasing the amount of dopamine that's being produced by taking dopamine-producing drugs like the levodopa-carbidopa or the dopamine agonists. Now the of course, each pill that you take brings with it the expected expected benefits, but also brings the potential for uh, unexpected non-benefits. You know, there, there are side effects, impacts both uh, you know the things you're looking for as well as the things you're not looking for.
2: Right.
1: So having having the diagnosis, you know, not only made it easier to deal with the disease, but it's also Given my life a certain amount of focus because I realize that I've been very very fortunate. You know, I I got Parkinson's so young that I don't I can't imagine what it's like to live without it. So I don't remember what it was like living before Parkinson's disease. So in a sense, I just had to live my life the best I could under these particular set of challenges. And and taking that approach has been an enormously uh, I don't know how you say. Uh, you know, it, it does provide an enormous amount of focus because I realize that so much is at stake, and and you know that there's a challenge that you face, but it also clarifies what your goals and and you know, ambitions might be. Right. Uh, for example, I, I had decided as a kid that I wanted to be a pilot. That was a, that was to be my uh, chosen career. Well, of course, if I'd stayed with that plan. Uh, I would have had a very short <laughs> short career because the <laughs> diagnosis of parkinson's at thirty nine would have taken me out of the private pilots uh ranks right then in fact when i when I was diagnosed, I had to give up my medical certificate for flying um, but you know it it allowed me to to choose another area actually to redefine what my goals and ambitions were and fortunately, I hadn't decided to be a professional pilot I love being a pilot but I had decided that uh, other places, you know, other activities might be better off for. So I ended up as a training manager in a car company. It's Honda Motor Company, as it turns out. And I was able to uh, to work another 19 years after my diagnosis because I hadn't put myself in a position where I was dependent upon, you know, such things as the physical ability to fly a car or fly a Right. <laughs> <car. laughs> So um, I loved I loved being in the uh, training part of our technical division at Honda, and it was a good match for me because they they, they have a good attitude towards their social responsibility, and a lot of the things I care about were the same things that the company cares about. So it was a good match, and I and I enjoyed my career there. The uh, when I decided to retire, it was in order to become co-chair with my wife of, of Team Parkinson. And uh, well, I've spent the last well, close to seven or eight years now uh, trying to help other people with Parkinson's because I realize how fortunate I am that uh, that my life has not been so negatively impacted as many, many other people by this uh, condition.
0: Certainly not by the stories of uh, all of your incredibly exciting activities uh, over the last 20 or 30 years.
1: Well, I, I really, uh, I think that, you know, if you, the ambitions we have as kids um, are often set aside by the realities of life. So I wanted to be an Olympic athlete and uh, really never had the talent to be one, but that doesn't mean that I can't run as an adult. Uh, even though I, I'm not going to win any marathons, I can at least compete. I can at least be part of the experience. Right. And so, you know, you don't have to win to be a winner, I think, Uh I'm not winning the race but in fact uh, I feel like I'm winning just if I can stay with my peers and and um, complete something like a marathon that's big enough target to get your your friends and family excited about and bring the awareness level and interest level in Parkinson's to the front as a as a result
0: you mentioned one of the troubling symptoms for many people are sleep disturbances What have you learned helps you with being able to address
1: that problem? You know, there's um, over the years, a couple of doctors tried to prescribe uh, sleeping tablets of some form or another, but I never felt comfortable with that approach. And so I I really realized that uh, using your body on a daily basis, that is, working your body as hard as you can, as often as you can, it's the best way to get sleep. I mean, if you just uh, try to reduce the stress in your life, try to keep your focus on things that are important, try to make sure that the things that are important to you are getting done, it makes it a lot easier to sleep at night. (laughs) And also, if it doesn't work out... Uh, thank goodness we have computers now, because I can get up in the middle of the night, come down on my computer and write something that <laughs> may or may not be interesting to someone else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which you do sometimes, it sounds like. Uh,
1: quite a lot, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Running is obviously at the top of your list for activities. Do you have other physical activities that you engage in on a regular basis?
1: Actually, I love bike riding as well. I, I enjoy the, the bicycle. Um, I'm part of the Actually, I I still ride with some of my friends from work, even though I've been retired now from work for seven years. uh, They they have a standing invitation for me to to do their Wednesday night rides over on the beach. And uh, last year, a friend of mine and I were able to to take on a uh, metric century, 63-mile bike ride up in Solvang. It was just a delight. Uh, I've done several century rides, actually, the 100-mile bike rides. Uh, but not, not in the last couple of years, but uh, planning to do at least one or two more century rides before we're through. And then um, I also enjoy backpacking up in the high Sierras. Uh, I've done a lot of that, about uh, 20 or 25 trips. I try to get at least one major trip into the mountains each year, usually late summer, early fall. And uh just, just love that, you know, the climate and the altitude and the trees and the forest. I'd love to challenge myself there as well and just find out how you know, how deep into the woods we can get and how much we can carry and still it out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you are uh, more active than many, many of the people who are my friends. Uh, can you tell people what are your symptoms?
1: Well, I have a, a lot of dyskinesia now because of the fact that I've been taking levodopa for, for 25 or 30, you know, 26 years now. Uh, levodopa is, is a u- very useful drug for Parkinson's patients, of course, because it, it allows the brain to take that and turn it into dopamine, which is the essential neurotransmitter that, that is deficit in the brain with Parkinson's disease. But levodopa also goes to other parts of your body, um, and there's dopamine and acetylcholine, two neurotransmitters used at both ends of the neuromuscular circuit. You know, so. When your brain sends an impulse to tell a muscle to, to you know, extend or contract, uh, if that signal doesn't get through because you haven't got enough dopamine, well, that's, that's one problem. You, you'll be immobile, but if it sends a signal at random because you've got excess dopamine at your neuromuscular junction, then you get this excessive twitchy movement that uh, you see in Michael J. Fox, for example, all his the, all the, the extraneous extra movements that he's doing is because of the uh, medication rather than because of the disease itself. So it's, that's, that's the primary visible symptom I have, obviously. I've had all the uh, usual assortment of the sleeping problems, the lack of sense of smell, the um, reduced ability to manage uh, sweat cycle, sleep cycle, Digestive cycles, you know, all of that, but but you know it doesn't stay forever in the same place. It, it comes and goes. Some of those symptoms will appear for a while, and then they'll disappear for a while. They may reoccur. Uh, there's there's a lot of up and down with uh, with Parkinson's. There's no fixed target. I mean, there's it's, it's, instead of what they used to tell us, which was that it was a degenerative disease that would you know just progress until you died. I think there's a lot more control we have over the uh, outcome than, than we thought we did.
0: You're listening to my interview with John Ball, author of Living Well, Running Hard, Lessons Learned from Living with Parkinson's Disease. When I was discussing the uh, wonderful and exciting opportunity to participate in the uh, memory training uh, study, I don't want anyone out there to think for a minute that this is a formal study. I'm not taking names from anyone. I have no idea who is participating. This is entirely voluntary and it's anonymous. Uh, so uh, I don't have a clue as to how many people are going to do this. And second, Uh, it's obviously voluntary if you want to track your symptoms or not. Uh, So we're really just uh, pushing this ahead and saying, look, enough of formal studies. Uh, Those take years and years to not only do but to publish. Let's just go out and do it. And find out what happens to people. So, uh, I do want you to know, however, uh, how you can just see what Symptom Tracker is all about if you decide you'd like to start tracking your symptoms. You can go to the main Parkinson's Recovery website. The main website is parkinson'srecovery, that's all one word, dot com. And there you'll see a very simple front page that has a little icon with the word Symptom Tracker when you click on that icon you'll come to a very simple logon page now there are no instructions uh, this is basically something that i programmed or i had somebody program for me and um, i do need to add some instructions but what you want to do when you come onto that very simple login page is first register so there's a word that says register and that's that's a big deal what you do is you enter your email address uh, this is entirely anonymous there are no names uh, involved here and uh, once you get your email address entered, uh, and that's really only important so that if you forget your password that you establish, you'll be able to always retrieve that, you answer a uh, 39 set of questions from a standard Parkinson's disease uh, questionnaire that is used to evaluate the the uh, particular state of an individual uh, in formal research. And then you'll get a baseline. You can then come back uh, to that very same page. You can log in with whatever username you used, and uh, you can take it again, the same set of 39 questions, and then you'll begin to be able to track yourself over time. So once you get a baseline on Symptom Tracker, you can go back in every so often, as much as you want. It's uh, something that you do for yourself, and you'll be able to track uh, the, the, the various categories of symptoms that you actually have. And, and the whole point of actually doing this was you'll be able uh, to celebrate uh, improvements. Uh, many people are not even aware that they're getting better. And so that's why I did it. I realized well, what we all need is to be able to actually see the progress that we're making. So that's why I created, that's why I invented Symptom Tracker. It's out there on the main page. It's always available to you. It's going to always be free. It's something that you can use and do uh, regardless of whether or not you want to participate in the memory uh, training study that is launched tomorrow. Back to John Ball. Okay. So as I understand it then, uh over time there will be new symptoms that will emerge and uh, old symptoms will fade away and then uh those will dissipate and perhaps some of the old ones will re-enter uh your life. Is that is that a good description of what happens over time?
1: You know it is. I think that over over the years I've had uh, many of the same problems that other Parkinson's patients have such as you know diminishing speech, uh volume and and ease of speaking. I've had uh, difficulty swallowing. Uh, all of these symptoms, though, can be worked on. You know, if you take each as they occur and, and develop strategies for dealing with them, you can diminish the, the impact of them, at least, if not diminish the symptoms themselves. Uh, for example, um, I got into typical Parkinson's depression at one point uh, and I had to acquire some new tools to manage that but in the process of learning how to manage that depression i also eventually recovered from it so it's it's a, it's not um it's not a continuous degenerative spiral we're in here uh parkinson's um is cyclic you know not only throughout the day but uh, throughout your life it's 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 going to have points that uh impact you greater and lesser as you go through life it's um I I think it's it's. I think most of us were told, at least when we were originally learning about the disease, that it was a degenerative disease with no cure, and and essentially that gave you essentially no hope. And I think that that was a uh, misinterpretation by a lot of doctors. The the drugs we have available now for dealing with the symptoms are much better, and and the hope of uh, a cure and the hope of actually being able to manage the disease better. And manage the quality of our lives better has has increased enormously over the last few years.
0: Many people will want to know what was helpful to you in being able to address the challenge of depression.
1: I had to get some help, (laughs) 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 kind of help I'd never had before. I needed to talk to someone in the in the in the field of psychology. I needed to get someone to you know to straighten me out about. uh, I was blaming everyone else for the failures I was experiencing in my life at that particular moment because I thought you know, I wasn't being me, and I thought everybody was reacting to me oddly. And, of course, they, they were reacting to the person I turned into with to, with depression rather than the me I thought I was.
2: Right.
1: So uh, discovering that, that, uh, that it was up to me to fix the problem, I wasn't going to be able to fix them or their impression of me, what i had to fix was me uh, that was that was the learning that i had to get through to make it possible to deal more successfully with the depression and deal with the symptoms and uh, you know it really showed up to me when i realized that i couldn't finish my own sentences without running out of breath and i thought this is weird you know why am i having such a problem with shallow breathing i mean i work out every day I, you know and i realized that i was running out of breath because depression was was preventing me from getting a full Volume of air in my lungs. Um, once I once I realized that, and I could work on the problem, I, I recovered essentially. So you really have to acquire tools that are appropriate to the challenge you're particularly facing. What
0: other uh, approaches, therapies, or modalities have you found have uh, helped you
1: uh, over these last years? You know, I really, other than the intense endurance exercise training that I do, I don't really do anything that's not available to everyone else. Um, I just try to do it as consistently as I can. Uh, those things that we, we we know that, for example, eating right is good for us. We know that getting enough sleep is good for us. We know that reducing our stress is good for us. But if you if you if you know those things but don't do anything about it. Then your life will be on that roller coaster ride that <laughs> right. we all have heard about. But if you, if you manage those things on a daily basis, you, could, you have a lot more control over the situation, hour by hour, day by day. So it's almost a moment by moment challenge. Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
0: Do you do supplements?
1: I take uh, vitamin tablets, I take um, uh, chondroitin and, and glucosamine for my joints because. After you know forty years of running and biking and hiking, <laughs> right, the joints are wearing out a bit, and uh, the the uh, discs between my vertebrae and my back are pretty uh, paper thin at this point. Um, but but that's just you know, that's life, and you know, that's that's just aging that would affect a lot of us. Um, I think um, I don't take CoQ10 or any of the other uh, non uh, med- you know, non-prescription drugs, essentially, that have been uh, suggested for Parkinson's. I, I really think that, uh, you know, eating properly, getting enough fruit and vegetables, um, don't, you know, overdose on the pro- proteins, particularly if it interferes with your medications, those kinds of things that we just have to learn how to do properly and when to, when to take our medications and when to... Uh, when to expect your body to be at its peak performance capability one of the one of the drawbacks of course is that the medications are a very short cycle in in your body uh, levodopa carbidopa tablet is good for about three and a half to four hours so that if you go out to play a round of golf, you're going to find that you you may start out feeling it was a, like you've got a great swing that day, but you know that with sometime within the round of golf you're going to play. You're going to reach the point where your medications are running down, and you're going to have to take some more medications, and they're going to have to ramp up. And you just have to be prepared for a couple of holes where you're just going to completely lose <laughs> your wing.
0: Uh, just plan that into the whole game, man. Yeah, it,
1: it's you know, it does, it does, it just gives you a different target to aim at. So instead of aiming for the 80s, I aim for the 90s. Oh right, <laughs> right. Because you know that there's going to be a period where you just can't control that. I just accept it as is. Yeah. Oh.
0: Do you attend a support group?
1: I love to go to support groups. Actually, I, I usually go as a speaker. Um, I've got about 10 or 12 different support groups here in Southern California that have me on a regular annual or semi annual uh, meeting schedule with them so that I go and talk to. Uh, Redondo Beach Group and the Orange County groups and the Hemet group and I see them as often as I can try to uh, encourage talk and uh share what I know what i and what what you know whatever I'm doing that might be beneficial to someone else
0: Oh, that's awesome and if anybody listening uh would like to be able to approach you to be a speaker at their uh, support group, how do they get in touch with you?
1: uh I would suggest going to team Parkinson, our website. Or they can call us here at Team Parkinson at 866-822-CURE, C-U-R-E, that's 2873, 822-2873.
0: What would you want to be sure and say to somebody who has just received the diagnosis of Parkinson's
1: disease? I think the most important thing is realizing that this is not the end of your life. This is not the end of what you thought your life was going to be about. This isn't just an obstacle you're going to have to learn to, to manage and deal with on a daily basis in order to make sure that the goals and ambitions and desires you had are still achievable. Um, it's, having Parkinson's is like having any other chronic condition. You just have to learn to manage it properly, deal with it, and, and concentrate on taking care of the things that are important in your life and give up those things which are out, which take away from the uh, focus and achieving what you want to get done in life. What do you do
0: when you face a time in the day or the week when you're down, when you're depressed about what's going on? Is there is there a way you have of working yourself out of that depression?
1: Yeah, actually, I, I think uh, for me it's the physical. It's the you know the, when, as a kid, it, I remember somebody in. in I was telling somebody in college once that I was depressed. They said, well, just, you know, go find somebody to play a game of tennis with. <laughs> but, you know, just get out there and do something. For me, I think uh, my my doing something when there's nobody else around that I and I just don't feel like that I can go out and run or I go out in my garage and I make something. Um, I, I try to make it out of wood usually, um, whether it's a project like turning a wooden bowl on a lathe or uh, building some cupboards or... Uh, I just finished a a panel that somebody needed for a a cover of a washing a dishwasher in the in the kitchen. They wanted to match their current kitchen cabinets with a uh, replacement panel that nobody else seemed to be able to make it. So I went in my garage and I I put together this panel of of cherry, and uh, hopefully it'll be just the perfect fit. when we get it on the dishwasher, we'll have to see. Uh-huh. I haven't mounted it yet on the dishwasher. <laughs> right. But but I think that you know finding something that gets you out of yourself, that gets you solving a problem for for somebody else, or finding something you can do for somebody else to get you out of that uh, downward inward spiral that you're on.
0: Have you always been a woodworker?
1: Uh, actually, I uh, I took it up. As a, uh, you know, I think I took it up really because I was when I moved from being a a producer at work to being a, a manager at work, I realized that I no longer had a product that I could develop at work on my own. I was helping other people develop products instead, so I just had to have something that I could make myself. You know, that, that was part of my life. That and so I uh, I started I started my woodworking projects probably 25 or 30 years ago, and now I've built most of the furniture in our house.
0: Oh my goodness. So uh the urge was to when you say have a product, something physical.
1: Yeah, something that I make that I can evaluate and say, you know, this is good or I can make it better. Something I can I can point to and say, you know, this this is a problem solving. I, I love to solve problems like most men I guess. And if you can give me a problem that I can solve with a piece of furniture or a particular um Outcome, you know, that, that having that problem solving ability is what keeps me focused and keeps me uh, rather than inwardly focused, keeps me outwardly focused and trying to be useful.
0: This is Robert Rogers live. You're listening to my interview with John Ball, author of Living Well, Running Hard lessons learned from living with parkinson's disease this is an outstanding interview by an incredible man you can always download this interview here after we are finished uh, in a few minutes today and uh, listen to it on a you know, mp3 player an ipod or any other device So be sure to tell your friends, it'll always be able to be downloaded for free, as well as all of the other Parkinson's Recovery radio programs that are aired live every Thursday morning at 11 o'clock in the morning Pacific time. The memory exercises begin tomorrow, that's July 24th, also at 11 o'clock in the morning Pacific time. I really hope that you'll enter in and enjoy this uh, month-long series of experiences, whether or not you decide to do symptom tracker or not. It's obviously an experience. Uh, It's open to anyone, and uh, I hope you'll consider participating. Uh, The more people I can convince to participate in this, uh, the better idea we'll have of how much return you can actually get from about uh, four weeks which is not very long uh... simply exercising the incredible abilities of your mind uh... again we're talking about uh, manufacturing dopamine naturally and also balancing out all of that incredible array of over forty hormones in uh... uh... your body robert rogers from parkinson's recovery we now return back to the fourth and final segment of my pre-recorded interview with john ball You've given us some clues as to uh, what your passions are, but I still want to ask you anyway. What are your passions?
1: You know, I I love to fly. I mean, I I love the idea of flying. Um, I grew up thinking that my life would be as an aviator. In fact, I I had the ambition not only to go on the Olympic team, but to to fly rockets to the stars, you know, because that was what everybody was talking about in the 50s and 60s. You know, I, I grew up in San Diego where the... Atlas Missile was being built, and it was a, you know, the center for aviation. That's how my family got there. My grandmother was uh, building airplanes for World War II. So it was, you know, just surrounded by aviation in San Diego. I thought I would be a pilot all my life, and and so that passion for flying, even after I lost the ability to fly because of my medical condition, because the Parkinson's, you know, is on a prescribed list. You can't fly an airplane if you've got Parkinson's disease. So I started flying remote control airplanes and building models of airplanes and flying them. Uh-huh. And I, for several years, I even uh, designed some and had them kitted. And uh, I had uh, people flying my designs in Australia, New Zealand, and around the world. It w- was kind of fun.
0: Were they called the John Ball teams, or <laughs> what was the
1: name of them? Actually, it was called the Foamy 2. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was at a point where we had uh, discovered that you could make remote-controlled airplanes out of uh, expanded polypropylene foam that you could crash and you could recover them. They weren't like the balsa and stick, you know, oh, t- tissue paper. Oh, yeah. These, these foamies, actually, you can play combat with them. You can crash them into each other and hit the ground and pick them up and just launch them again. Oh, because, that's cool. <laughs> so I was, uh, I got myself a, a foam cutter, a hot wire cutter, designed the kits and uh, packaged them up and had people flying the foamy too? <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. What other things have you invented in your life? Ah, uh, <laughs> well, when my when my mother-in-law was uh, struggling with her Parkinson's disease uh, many years ago, my wife asked if I could build a uh, a chair that she could move in and out of the shower so that she could slide into the shower without tripping over the the lip on the shower you know f- facility in the in the apartment where they lived so i actually uh i guess you could say invented a uh a physical therapy assist kind of chair that actually slid sideways in in and out of the shower to make it much easier for for her to get uh yeah you know to to improve her ability to shower on her owner with help right. without the danger of uh, slipping and falling this was for her
0: only though you didn't actually uh take that out and uh Manufacture it?
1: Uh-huh. No, actually, I made one, and it worked for her. and I never, uh, never took it anywhere else. No.
0: Uh,
1: how interesting. But I've also, I've also uh, looked at many little tricks we did. I built her a, a really short footstool, for example, because of the particular bed where she was. You know, made it easier for her to get in and out of bed. Things like that.
0: So if uh, anybody listening has a a particular uh, challenge in their life, they can contact you, and you might be able to invent a solution to uh, to uh, their their, their problems.
1: You know, I I love the problem solving aspects of uh, it. gives It gives your your uh, attention focus, and it certainly uh, you know if you solve the problem, it's going to help with those feelings of uh, usefulness and and. Uh, Keep you from that uh, sense of, of being out of touch with the rest of society. I think a lot of Parkinson's patients lose touch with their friends, lose touch with family, because of the restrictions on their movement, because of the difficulty of communicating. Uh, those things we really have to, to work at to keep in our lives in order to keep uh, living. You know, I think I, I like to say that you know, if I'm still learning, I'm still living. So it's uh, for me. I try to learn something every day, and if I can if I can solve a problem in the process, that's great.
0: What are your dreams for the future?
1: You know, I, I've decided that I'm I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing the best I can, helping people with Parkinson's. I mean, that's my focus from now on because uh, I don't think I'm going to uh, become president. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> I don't think uh, there's a, you know, a role for me in politics or in I just want them to motivate and help other people get better at managing their particular challenges. I'd like to be a... I do enjoy motivational speaking. I do enjoy my opportunities to to go to conferences and to try to help other people take control over the challenges in their lives.
0: Tell everybody about your book, Living Well, Running Hard, Lessons Learned from Living with Parkinson's Disease.
1: You know, it really... it, uh, it details the uh, transition I went through from being a guy just trying to get through life facing a challenge, that is Parkinson's disease in this particular case. Of course, there are other challenges we all face as well, but uh, moving from that to deciding to be part of a Parkinson's community that I didn't even think of existed you know, in, in when I first was diagnosed, it took me several years to realize that there is a community surrounding this disease and that it affects not only the person who has it, but their family, their, their work friends, their family—you know, their family's friends—it it impacts so many people, not just the person who actually has the disease. And then realizing that once I started running and, and ran the marathon and thought I had something to, to tell the Parkinson's community, something that would you know, help them get excited and do something, what I realized was that by connecting with other Parkinson's patients, I had so much to learn—not just to teach, but so much to learn. And so I, I use this as my um, opportunity to become not just a, a part of that community, but an advocate for that community, and try to try to make a difference in a positive way uh, to to advance not only the research to find a cure, but also to to advance the quality of care and the quality of life that's available to people with Parkinson's. So I, I spend most of my time now trying to help other people with Parkinson's. Manage their symptoms, manage their their particular situations better. And I think uh, the book really tries to detail how the the, uh, the vehicle of running of the marathon actually took me from that the state of just a guy trying to get through life to a guy trying to represent or be part of a community and represent that community and become an advocate for that community.
0: Are you updating the book, or are you writing other books?
1: actually I am working on another book, and um it happens to be about flying right now. Now the problem is <laughs> I don't have a publisher i, I self published the first one, so uh I don't have anybody prodding me for a particular deadlines <laughs> <for these laughs> particular chapter dates and uh it it's a rather slow process. The first one actually took me nearly ten years to actually go from from the first uh attempt to an actual finished product um but I think that I, I continually try to write things that are important to the Parkinson's Committee, and I have stories that are on on our website. Uh, stories about particular events. In fact, the the latest one was the uh, trip to Norway. Um, if you go to the website, you can find a a short story essentially of the uh, trip to Norway. And the I think one of my favorites is a uh, an or a, a story about the uh, running the marathon on Catalina Island a couple of years ago. Oh. Uh, Catalina Island is a uh, challenge because it goes up and down over 4,000 feet of elevation change during the course of the marathon. Whoa. So it's a tough it's one of the, it's, red, it's right up there in the top 10 toughest marathons in America. So having done that was kind of a, an exciting challenge for me. So I try to, uh, I try to write uh, as much and as often as I can and usually try to keep it uh, on the uh, motivational or uh, inspirational focus. Oh.
0: Uh, as a, a writer myself, I have a, a, a curious question to ask you. Are you a disciplined writer in the sense that you have a particular time every day that you write, or do you write when you're inspired?
1: I write when I'm inspired, primarily. Um, unless, of course, you want to count those middle of the night when I can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's
0: an inspiration in itself. <laughs>
1: yes, well, so that's... Definitely. Um, you know, it's funny the the REM sleep disorder that goes with Parkinson's uh, right. results in very vivid dreaming, and so I have a lot of the stuff I write actually starts from the dreams in the middle of the night, oh. and I wake up and they're vivid enough that I remember the. I mean, for example, I have a a story um, to be developed. It, it was a dream a couple nights ago uh It was actually as I realized later that it was kind of a rewrite of a story i'd read uh, four or five months ago in the analog science fiction magazine but in in this case, it was a uh rescue effort upon the part of a female pilot who realizing that the current way of thinking about you know how far an airplane can fly et cetera well uh, actually she was trying to rescue her father and she uh she was a pilot in the, in the Air Force and was flying the YF-22, the, uh, the current state-of-the-art jet that the, the military is developing for uh, you know, the future. This is a stealth fighter. It's very fast, and she thought it doesn't have enough fuel range to get to where the, her father was being held captive. So she decided to extend the thinking from the known parameters of, of the aircraft to the unknown parameters of the aircraft that is what if it's what if you use it as a ballistic missile you uh, you know fire it up launch it like a like a ballistic missile and then reserve the the remaining fuel that you didn't fly on as the way to get back <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know,
1: outside the box thinking uh, to find a solution to a problem by by not going from the known parameters but going toward those unknown parameters and that's uh I haven't developed the story yet, but it's it's uh, it's one of the dream-originated ideas that I've got notes on anyway.
0: It's a great idea for a story and a, a theme that is prototypical of your entire life, uh, always inventing solutions to challenges and problems that you had.
1: That's uh, I guess you could say that's what I enjoy most is uh, being able to solve a problem. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a story you need to write and get it out there. I okay. guess that'll be a part of your new book about flying then.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think I've, I've, it's gonna it's gonna find its way into that book. Yeah. Oh,
0: do you have a title for the new book? Yeah. No, I,
1: not, not yet. Uh, I bet when you find the title, it'll be
0: finished in short order.
1: You know, I think you, uh, you as an experienced writer, probably know that as well as I. That uh, it's like having the name of your your condition. You know, <laughs> that's that's exactly right it's like knowing what the target is. That's um, what
0: I found. Yeah, when all of a sudden the title uh, comes and it and it feels like, oh, that's right. That's the right title. Then it all comes together and it doesn't take long at all to finish it.
1: So, exactly. Uh, that's yeah. That's my experience. Because it as it well. provides that focus. You know what it's about at that point. That's
0: right. And uh the other big factor is it's the energy inside me to do it that makes the big difference. Is yes. when I feel that surge of, oh yeah, this has got to be done. Then it it really does happen. It really does make a difference. I personally have noticed that I get depressed when I don't write. When you're talking about depression, I literally just get depressed and I think, "What's wrong with me?" You know, and I realize, "Oh, wait a minute, I haven't, I haven't written."
1: So there's a, there's a really well-known writer, Conroy, I think is his name. He, he's the guy that wrote um, Conrack. The movie. There was a movie called Conrad Uh
2: huh.
1: John White was yeah. The guy that wrote that book has suffered from depression. Uh, he's Basically, the uh, manic-depressive disorder, what is it called now. Uh, bipolar? Bipolar. Disorder. Oh, right. Um, but he's got a, you know, he's a great writer. He's written a number of really fine books. He also wrote The Great Santini and, and a lot of other well-known stuff. Um, but he is bipolar, and it is, when he gets depressed, he has to write his way out of it. And that's, this, that's where his greatest work comes
0: from. It's yeah. His depression is his gift in disguise, I guess, so. A tough gift
1: to live with. That's <laughs> <Isn't> that the <laughs> truth?
0: What question haven't I asked you that I should ask you?
1: You know, I—that's um, a, that's a great question, and I don't have a good immediate answer. Let's see. What would it—what would it be important for people to know that, that we haven't talked about? Um, I think the most important thing is you, you're not going to do this alone. Uh, Parkinson's is not a disease you suffer in silence or in isolation. It affects the community around you. It affects your family. It affects your people at work. You know, people your, you're friends with. Uh, it's not. It's a social disease, essentially. It affects our entire society, and we have to realize that in order to to deal with Parkinson's, and to you know, to line it up against all the other things that are facing society right now, you know, like global economic collapse, you know, global climate change, the big stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have to we have to break the problems down into small enough segments, small enough chunks that we can solve them one by one, rather than trying to attempt to fix the whole thing at one time. Um, my thinking is that. Parkinson's is a, you know, is a particular disease that needs to be solved because it'll be the entree to solving a lot of other diseases as well. Chronic conditions of neurological conditions, ALS, Alzheimer's, Huntington's. You know, there's a number of diseases that will be much more tractable once we've discovered the mechanisms that actually cause and the relief for those causes of Parkinson's disease. So I'm looking forward to. Uh, to helping that process along because I don't want my kids to be facing Parkinson's in their lives or to be facing the fact that they're going to have to take care of me as an old guy. Um, that's not what I want for them. And They're going to have enough problems to solve this. <laughs> so I think that uh, we need to look at conditions like Parkinson's as as societal responsibilities to get solved.
0: What role has your wife played in this whole process?
1: Oh, right. Team Parkinson would not be what it is without her. She is the master of follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. I and mean, She makes sure that everything gets done. With Parkinson's, it becomes very difficult to finish things. Uh, you have great ideas. You have great ambitions. You have uh, a challenge to get things done. <laughs> it's difficult to do more than one thing at a time. Because so much of your brain has to be retrained to take over the functions that you stored as a kid, you know, like getting up out of a chair or rolling over in bed. All those things that you learned to do automatically, now you have to learn to do consciously. And so a lot of your brain power is consumed in doing that. So follow-up is really difficult. Therefore, it's difficult to multitask with Parkinson's. So a lot of... uh, Multitasking—I have to leave to her. <laughs> you know, and I have to, uh, she, you know, she makes sure that that the things I start result in things that are out, you know, outcomes that are substantially better than if I'd left them to myself.
0: <laughs> uh, and tell everybody once again how they can get in touch with you and how they can make contributions to Team Parkinson.
1: I'm available by phone anytime i I. I I try to make myself available to anybody who just needs someone to talk to or just someone to come over and talk and and sort through a condition or situation. You can reach me at area code 866. That's a toll-free line, 822-2873. Or uh, go to the Team Parkinson on the web, which is www.team-parkinson.org.
0: John Ball, thank you so much for being with us today. You are a true inspiration
1: to many,
0: many, many individuals out there who are dealing with the symptoms of Parkinson's. Thank you so much. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. Our next live event will be held in 23 hours. Tomorrow, Friday, at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, We'll be launching our memory exercises, an event and activity you won't find anywhere else in the world or the universe because I've just invented it. I hope you'll consider participating beginning uh, tomorrow for the next month. And uh, if you have any questions whatsoever about the memory exercises, uh, give me an email. You can always reach me at Robert R O B E R T at Recovery dot com. That's P A R. K-I-N-S-O-N-S dot com. Next week here on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network show at the same time, 11 o'clock Pacific on Thursdays, you're going to hear more about deep brain stimulation surgery. So if you're curious, tune in next week, same time, same station. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound where... All the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that you are on the road to recovery. Good day.